try to finish the chapter here. We've been in verses 14 through 26 for the last couple of weeks. And uh, we're to strive not about words to no profit. We're to study to show ourselves approved. We're to shun uh, profane and vain babblings. Then we get down to verse uh, 19. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. You know, that's one of the most beautiful promises in all the scripture. Uh, how many of you remember Y2K? You know what? Nevertheless, the foundation of the Lord standeth sure. Amen. How many of you remember the Da Vinci Code? I mean, that was going to cause all Christians to turn away from the Bible. Didn't work. The foundation of the Lord standeth sure. Uh, that's why we don't waste time uh, making a big deal about those things. Uh, we, uh, by the way, do you remember all the hype that was around that uh, filthy, perverted movie, The Passion of the Christ. And everybody thought that the whole world was going to become Christian because a drunkard made a movie about Jesus' crucifixion. And you know what? The foundation of the Lord stand ashore. People like that aren't going to confuse the issue. People who believe the truth are going to believe the truth. Amen? And we need to be careful here. The Lord knoweth them that are his, but they have this seal. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I, I might believe Mr. Gibson if he stopped going to maths and stopped being a drunkard and stopped being a Jew hater and all the other things he is. I, I just might believe him. But since he isn't going to stop doing any of that, I'm not going to believe him. Amen. Don't get confused with what's going on around us in the world. You see, chapter 20 makes it personal. It says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. How many of you have ever been in an old mansion? I mean, back around the turn of the century. Uh, before we had all the amenities that we have today. I mean, there's a lot. One of the things you'll notice, there's lots of vessels in the home. There are all kinds of crocks and pots in the kitchen and all kinds of... Uh, you ever see those colonial kitchens? I don't know what you would do with a pot that big around. Except laundry. Uh, but... I mean, they always show one of them great big pot. How could you cook soup in a pot like that? Without a refrigerator to put the leftovers in, it's all going to spoil. I mean, uh, you got to understand that things were not always as they appeared. A lot of those beautiful vessels, they look pretty. How many of you have ever gone in an antique shop and saw a beautiful porcelain bowl about this big around and a nice pitcher sitting in it? How many of you know what that is? It's a toilet. Yeah, they cleaned it up and they put a big price tag on it, but you're still buying somebody's toilet. It's just 150 years old. 
No thanks. I, I, I like antiques, but I don't like them that well. Amen? Um, there are just some things that don't mean much to me. And you see, in the great house, they have all these vessels. Some of them we like to talk about. Now, there's part of me that would have loved to have been alive in colonial America. Because if you've ever seen the silver services that were in colonial America, they always have this great big silver bowl. Some, I mean, I remember seeing one solid silver. It was about this long, and it was about that deep. And you know what it was for? It was for gravy. Now, I love gravy. I mean, if you, if you just could put the food in the bowl and just make soup out of it with the gravy, I'd eat it that way. Uh, I... I mean, I like that one. Now, could you imagine a solid silver gravy bowl? I mean, that thing held half a gallon of gravy. Uh, but there are all kinds of vessels. Vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. It says some to honor and some to dishonor. There are some vessels that you don't use. They're too precious to be used. But God is talking about vessels that are usable. And one of the things that you can think of, if you read in the Old Testament, some of those passages that we don't like. How many of you remember a silver charger of 70 shekels weighed and a silver pitcher of 130 shekels and a golden spoon of 10 drams? I mean, and it just repeats it over and over again. And... You say, why does God do that to us? Well, number one, he wants to teach you to be faithful to God's word. Just read it because it's there. Amen. But there's something about that. We get this idea that only one person can do some special thing. You know what? That's not the way it is in God's house. He's got lots of vessels. In the temple, they had golden vessels for certain things. And if you'll read in the book of Ezekiel, they got those things out that David and Solomon had made and they had been stored in the storehouse of Babylon. And Belshazzar, his grandson, had used them to praise the gods of, that were made by man. And God destroyed him that night, but he kept those vessels. And they got them out and they took them back to Jerusalem and put them in the service of the king. Now, here's what the Bible tells us. It says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Now, what are we supposed to purge ourselves from? Well, let's go back. How about profane and vain babblings? How about the cankers? You remember Hymenius and Philetus? I mean, sometimes diseases have a name, amen? Uh, and sometimes it's got two legs and walks around. And the Bible says, listen, get those guys out of there. It says, listen, we need to shun these things. It says we're studied to show ourselves approved unto God as a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. But how many of you have ever seen shameful workmanship? If you're going to be a vessel unto honor, 
You got to shun that stuff. You got to get away from it. You hang around people that do things halfway. And it won't be long for you're doing things halfway. You hang around a bunch of dishonest and disreputable people. Oh, I'm not like that. They're just people I know. Wait a minute. It's going to influence you, my friend. It says a man has to purge himself from these. You've got to get those things out of your system, out of your life. I mean, one of the things that I've been so careful about over the years is I, I would love to go back to school and earn a higher degree than what I have. I just have a bachelor's degree. I, I'd like to rate, but I want to be careful where I go to school. Because who I allow to influence me, and I'm speaking as a pastor. I've been studying the Bible for over 24 years in the pastor, in the ministry. But let me tell you something. Men stronger than I have been moved by people they've allowed to influence them. Purge yourself from these. If you want to know why, I keep telling don't listen to Christian radio. It's influencing you in ways that you don't even know. I never will forget the day I woke up and, and, and I was uh, in the ministry several years, actually pastoring this church. So I'd been uh, serving six years and then we came here and started the church and and I was just troubled with my preaching. And all of a sudden I woke up and realized I grew up listening to Chuck Swindoll, John MacArthur, and Charles Stanley and all those guys. And it's not that they're bad preachers. But they don't preach. They just stand there and talk. And I wondered why I was just, I couldn't get couldn't get going. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, hey, I have been influenced and it hasn't been a good thing. And when I began actively working against that influence, it was in my life that I wasn't even aware of. Things started changing a little bit. I was able to raise my voice just a little bit and not feel afraid of hearing myself raise my own voice. And, and a few silly things like that. I'm glad most people here don't remember those days. But I do. Somebody's probably thinking, I wish we could go back. He's a little loud. But uh, let me tell you, you can't just stand here and hold God's word with a dearly beloved, we're gathered together attitude. You've got to purge that stuff purposefully out of your system or it's going to hinder your service for God. You see, in order to be a vessel that can be used, it says that we need to be sanctified. Now that word sanctified comes from the same base word as the word holy. How many would be raising their would raise their hands with me and say, I could use more holiness in my life? 
I could draw a little closer to God. I'd like to see some of those things that, that bother me and catch my eye. I'd like to see them moved out. Some of those things that irritate me and get my attention and take it away from the Word of God. That's the idea of being sanctified. It's being not affected by the things of this world, not a part of what's going on around you. It means pure. It means set apart. But not just set apart. There's a lot of people that are set apart. I mean, how many of you have gotten on a subway car and realized there were only three people in the subway car? One homeless guy and you and two unlucky people that walked into that car and got stuck till the next stop with <clears throat> uh, all the problems that will be on that car because the guy hasn't taken a bath in six weeks. You s that's set apart now, isn't it? I mean, nobody wants that. But that's not sanctified. Sanctified means set apart for God's particular use. And he says, I don't want a dirty vessel. And I can ask this question every service and we'll get the same response every service. How, much of, how many of us had trouble with sin this past week? And I mean, you didn't murder somebody. I hope not. You didn't stop somebody and beat them over the head and steal all their stuff. But you broke God's laws. You sinned. That's not sanctified. If we're going to be a vessel of honor, if we're going to be something that God's going to use, and by the way, I don't know that this is the right place to put all of this in and try to develop this, but just something to think about. What are the vessels supposed to hold? You ever think about that? You see... When we get to heaven, what's God going to do? He's going to use us as trophies of His glory. Amen? So maybe those vessels are supposed to hold God's glory. But if you take just a little bit of pride and mix it with God's glory, what do you get? You get something that has to be dumped out. I mean, that's what, we don't have time tonight to go there, but that's something to think about. Put it, put it in your mind and ask God to help you meditate on that thing, and, and it'll help you in, in the time of temptation. And, and I, I wish I could tell you, man, I've got it all down, and uh, you just do it and all. Listen, we're all struggling together to serve God. And we're going to have to keep struggling together until Jesus comes back. But it says, sanctified. And then it uses a word that we don't use very much anymore. It says meat for the master's use. Now I get real tired of this. And I mean, almost every time I have an opportunity to do a wedding, I spend a little bit of time in my sermon on this. Because most people take what God did in the Garden of Eden and they make Eve, Adam's helpmeet, like his playmate. It doesn't say that 
Eve was a, was a help meet. It says she was an help meet for him. Now that word meet means specifically designed. It means made in a purposeful way. When you purge yourself from these, it says that you're going to be sanctified because you're not going to be a part of profane and vain babblings. You're not going to be a part of the canker. You're not going to be part of foolish workmanship. You're not going to be striving about the words of no profit. You're going to be putting yourself away from those. And God is going to design you for the service that He has for you. Now, I'm glad that God is a God of variety. That God gives different ministries to different people and He prepares people for those ministries. Every time uh, Brother Bob Mack visits, he gets irritated with me. Because I'll take the church van and just pull up to a spot. You can't get it in here. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to get it in here. It just really irritates him. I said, but Bob, if you parallel park 20 times a day for 18 years, you'd be, fine. You'd be good at it too. I mean, God gives you the abilities to do what you need to do. And we've exchanged a few stories and I'm going, Bob, I'm glad God's got you in Ivory Coast. And he's going, Pete, I'm glad God's got you in New York City. Because neither one of us would do any good if we traded places. We'd mess things up. You see, God makes us meet, or pre uh, we'll get to prepared in just a minute, specifically designed for where he puts us. That's why you get into so much trouble, dear Christian, when you're not where you're supposed to be. You know what? Our church could really use some people who are meet to fill some of the holes that are here in our service and in our organization and would really, really go forward if we had people that allowed themselves, you got to purge yourself from these, then you got to let God form you and shape you and mold you. By the way, do you think it feels good when God is making you meet? Not necessarily, my friend. That could be a very painful process. But as God does that, it says, listen, you will be meat for the master's use and prepared unto good works. Is that what it says? No, it says prepared unto every good work. How many of you have ever tried to use a tool that's not designed to do the job? Isn't that frustrating? I mean, there's nothing more frustrating. I remember the first time I was working on a car, I had a little uh, Mercury Lynx, and it says, this job cannot be performed without wrench XJ473 whatever, uh, which can be purchased at your Ford dealership, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And uh, I don't... I don't need that special wrench. Well, let, let me tell you, after an hour and a half, I did get the pulley off without special wrench XJ, whatever it was. But you know what? I wish I hadn't. You
You need to be prepared to do good works. You need to be prepared by God to do the work He sets before you. How many of you like to take tests that you forgot about? It's one of the nice things about the inner city missions class, guys. There are no quizzes. There are no tests. No final exam. All you got to do is write that term paper when you leave. Get your notebook while you're here. Pay attention. Get the toothpicks in there. Make sure you don't fall asleep. Or one of those funny-looking glasses with your eyeballs printed on the inside so you can sleep while it looks like you're awake. Uh, But the, the whole thing in is here. You, if you're not prepared to take a test, you're not going to do very well now, are you? Now, how often does God give us tests? Oh, all day long, every day. They're always coming now, aren't they? Just about the time we think, oh, Lord, I passed this one, boom. Don't get caught up in what you have done. Get caught up in getting prepared for the next one. Amen? That's what this passage is talking about. If you're going to study, shun the right things, you're going to have to serve God if you're going to serve Him. Listen, you're going to have to purge yourself so that you can be sanctified, specifically designed by God, and prepared to serve him. Now that's a vessel one to honor. That's a vessel that will hold the glory of God. I can't remember what job I had Andrew doing, but he was using some chemicals and removing some finish off of stuff. And he said, Dad, I made a big mess. I I just got me out a styrofoam cup and I poured some of this stuff in it and I turned around and there was no cup left. You know what? That's what some people's lives are going to be like. God's going to say, hey, let me me just give you a little bit. Disappear. Can't handle it. You want to handle it. You better purge yourself. That God can prepare you. Now here's the next one. Flee also. Now, when it puts that word also in there, it's connected to the verse in front of it. It says, listen, you're going to be sanctified. You're going to be meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Now flee also youthful lusts. Now, when Pastor Horton comes on uh, Tuesday, I know one of the things he's going to talk about is things that make preachers flunk out of the ministry. And and he's got it all alliterated. I think it's... uh, what was it? Uh, I always called it finances, females, and frivolity. Uh, but there are things youthful lust will destroy you even after you've purged yourself from these. Even after God has used you. How many preachers do you guys know? 15, 20, 30 years in the ministry. And all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. I, I just, it, it, it's hard to comprehend, but I'll tell you what, 
I want to do is I want to let me, I want it to make me a little more afraid. It says, flee also youthful lust. Now the word flee just simply means to flee. One time, we still haven't figured out what that thing was. My wife might remember this. We had this bug in the auditorium here. It looked like a giant hornet on steroids. I mean, we killed it. Uh, if you get that canned air and turn it upside down, it comes out of the bottle about 20 degrees below zero and we froze that dude. But I kid you not, that thing was this long and it looked just like a hornet. Now, if that thing stung you, I think you'd be in big, big, big trouble. Somebody said it was a queen bee of one of those big hornet nests. I, I don't know that it, I don't know what it was. I tried not to get that close. But when that thing started flying around, how many of you, it was when we were doing the Operation Snatch with the armor of God and all, my kids remember that thing. They, <laughs> I mean, it disrupted the service. I mean, people wanted to get out of here under no uncertain terms. If we could understand how horrible and how destructive those things were, we'd run away from it just like we would some giant hairy spider. And if we were able to do that, we'd be a whole lot safer. Amen? But it says, not only run away from, but we're to follow other things. And it gives us a whole list here. Righteousness. Uh, I think Paul said something about that. Take unto thee the whole armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness. It protects your heart. Follow after righteousness. Find somebody that's just obeying the Word of God. That's what faith is. You know, so many Christians, we spend our time trying to see how close we can get to total obedience and just never quite get there all the way. But you don't understand, Lord, I, I live in a really wicked world. Yeah, the Lord understands He lived in a really wicked world too, amen? It says, follow after righteousness, faith, charity. How do you follow after charity? That's just simply love that does something. Amen? Uh, I praise the Lord. We're, uh, I saw the offering sheet this morning. Uh, our gift to Brother Thompson's memorial fund at this point is $379. So we praise the Lord for that. And uh, I'm sure some more will come in over the next week or so. And we'll send that on. And we'll, pro and we'll add a little bit to it, I'm sure, from our uh, other account. But just... Listen, that's charity. It's when your heart feels and your body does. Follow after peace. How can you do that? I, I like the way Brother Clayton put it one time. There was a discussion going on about preachers and churches and people arguing with one another. And he just put it this way. He says, I believe what they do. Said, I'm just not mad about it. If 
follow after peace. You don't have to fight the whole world. In fact, if you're fighting the whole world, maybe it's not the whole world that's wrong. I remind my children of that every once in a while. Somebody will get up on the wrong side of the bed, a little woolly bear comes, everybody hates me. Well, I don't know that everybody hates you today, but maybe you ought to go back to bed and spend a little more time and get up on the right side. Amen? Uh, maybe the whole world's against you because you're against the whole world. Do you ever think about that? Follow after peace. Now, here's how you can know you're following the right kind of peace and the right kind of faith and the right kind of charity and the right kind of righteousness. You find them. They call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You find the right kind of church and you're going to be doing this automatically. Amen? Oh, me? Okay. Got one there. Listen, if we're going to purge ourselves, if we're going to be that vessel that's going to be under honor, we're going to have to follow after these things, and we're going to have to avoid foolish and unlearned questions, knowing that they do gender strife. Again, we go back to this idea of being peaceable. I remember getting a certain newspaper while I was a student in Bible college and everything in that newspaper, every sentence was designed to be a barb or a curse or a worse at someone or something that didn't agree with the author of the newspaper. And I remember reading that thing and going, oh, wow, man, this is really cool. And then all of a sudden it started dawning on me. You hang around with hateful, acidic people and guess what you're going to become? I don't know if you can tell or not, but I have a little problem with acidity myself. And if I get around that stuff, boy, it just comes out. And you know what most of the time that people argue about? Anybody here ever read The Flaming Scorch? I'm sorry, the, that's one of those Christian publications that's not its real name. But I mean, he's against everybody and everything. I remember Dr. Dow bringing in a copy of the Bible Believer's Bulletin. Good name for a paper, but what was in the paper wasn't any good. I finally got approval today. Were you there when that student put all the letters in all the mailboxes about Truman Dollar and all that stuff with the Bible versions? You don't remember that? Okay, well, we won't tell that story. But you know what? It's just foolish and unlearned questions because the reason why they're asked is so they can start a fight. You ever met anybody like that? They fight at the drop of a hat, and they always just happen to have a hold of one very loosely in their fingertips. And say, so they just got a chip on their shoulder, and they're just ready to blow it off at a second's notice. Hey, we get into this last part of this verse, and we're not going to do that tonight. We're going to stop right here. 
It says the servant of the Lord must not strive. You know what? God hasn't called me to fight the world. I got enough to do to fight the guy in the mirror in the morning. And by the way, so do you. Amen? Actually, oh me. Uh, I mean, that's not something that we want to glory in, not something that we're happy about, but that's where the battle is. We don't have to fight about everything. But there are some things we've got to stand for, amen? But you know the best way I can stand for the truth is to ignore the idiots and just live it. If, if I want to really do something to torque, or get upset, the uh, homosexual rights crowd. All I got to do is line up all 12 kids, get out the strollers, take my wife arm in arm, and just walk around the block. You know what? There are a few things I could do that would irritate them more than that. Because they don't have kids. They cannot propagate who they are without destroying somebody else's life. But I got 12 that are following in the footsteps so far, amen? And I don't have to be mean-spirited when I do it. In fact, if you really want to get somebody upset, do it with a smile on your face and it drives them mad. That's what the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs, heaping coals of fire on their head. Because you're doing it because you care for their soul. And they can't stand it. Isn't it fun to be a real Bible-believing Christian? <laughs> it's not that I want to irritate other people. It's not that I purposely go out to do. It just happens naturally. And that's what drives the world really crazy. You see, you follow after righteousness, what happens to people who are living unrighteously? They get convicted. You follow after faith, what happens to people who don't want to live by faith? You see, everybody has an excuse. Oh, you can't do that in this day and time. That's, that's Old Testament, or, or that doesn't apply right now. I mean, you've got, to, you've got to meet your society where you live. Yeah, head on <laughs> with the Word of God. And you just keep going the direction that God wants you to go. And you're going you're gonna to make a difference. Follow these things with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I, I've been in and around some churches sometimes that just scare me to death. They use the name of the Lord, but what's going on there? I remember walking into a church one time and on the church bulletin board had one of those little bumper stickers, they'll get my guns when they pry my cold dead fingers from around the trigger. I said, man, I looked at my wife. I said, what kind of church are we in? She said, I told you they were weird. I didn't know they were this weird. 
they had been in that church 20 years before and, and then the preacher come up and man we just said let's get out of here this place is crazy he wanted to show me after church he he filled my car up. I had a car that ran on diesel at that time. He says, yeah, we got a thousand gallons of diesel. We're going to be ready when it happens. I said, brother, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure glad you're giving me the diesel to get out of here. <laughs> Find somebody that's serving the Lord out of a pure heart. And you just follow together with them these things. Flee these things. And you'll be that vessel that can hold and handle God's glory. Amen? And we'll be able to return that glory to God in a fashion that will bring glory to Him throughout eternity. Some beautiful pictures here. Amen? And so, we're going we're gonna to just stop our study. We'll pick up here with verse 24 next Sunday night, Lord willing. But... How many would just think and pray with me and say, Lord, I want to be one of those vessels unto honor. Amen? I want to be one of those vessels that is meet and prepared. Meet for the Master's use, prepared unto every good work. When Jesus is looking to do something in Astoria, I want him to stop at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I want him to find our church and say, hey, I got something to do for you. One of my prayers from the very beginning was that our church would be a launching pad for young men, for preachers coming in and starting churches in the city. The Lord's allowed us to do a little bit of that. I'd like to do a lot of bit of that like to flood this area with gospel-preaching churches. Wouldn't that be incredible? But you know what? we got to be prepared or God won't use us. The men that God's called have to be prepared or God won't bring them. And if we're not praying and following after the right things, it's just not going to happen. So would you join with me in that prayer? Let's... Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to come and pray at the altar, you got special need or something, please do that. In just a few moments, we'll get into our prayer time.